Everyone wants to blame someone, <laughs> Megan. Everyone wants to blame someone. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of 2018 for the Grattan Podcast channel. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute and today we're discussing the 10-year story of Australia's electricity price rises. It's not news for you, I'm sure, that Australia's electricity sector is in crisis or something close to it. We've spoken on this podcast before about the blackouts in South Australia in September 2016 that was followed by electricity shortages in several states last summer. And the problem looks set to continue with more shortages anticipated over this and coming summers. But electricity shortages are just one part of the story. For most Australians, a more visible and perhaps crucial part of this crisis is our ever-increasing electricity bills. Just the other day, I received yet another notice from my provider detailing my next price hike, and everyone wants to blame someone else for the problem. Electricity retailers blame government, and renewable energy advocates blame those nasty fossil fuel generators. But there are also those who in turn blame renewables, and the federal government blames everyone but itself. So what's the real story? Is there a single factor responsible for our electricity pricing woes, or is the story more complex than that? Joining me on today's podcast is Energy Fellow David Blowers, who will talk us through the contributing factors affecting every electricity bill we open. Welcome, David. Hello, Megan. So, David, how big is this problem really? How much more are we, as consumers, paying for our electricity now? Well, consumers are paying quite a lot more for their electricity now than they were 10 years ago. In real terms, so taking into account uh, general price rises and inflation, Consumers are paying about 44% more for their electricity now than they were uh, a decade ago. Uh, that means it's gone up from about $1,200 a, a year to something around $1,700 a year. That's a considerable price rise that people have experienced over that period of time when you'd normally expect prices to remain pretty much level. And the reasons for this are complicated. There are a number of causes and they differ depending on which state you live in. Right. So are there, is there a general idea of what the main causes are? Yeah. So if you think about your electricity bill, it is made up of a number of components and these reflect the supply chain of getting electricity from the generator to your house. So there's the price we pay for the electricity that's generated. So the wholesale cost of our electricity, there's the network cost, and that's the cost of transporting that electricity from the generator to houses and businesses. And then there are retail costs, and that is the cost of the retailer who bundles up all these other costs and then sends you a bill for that electricity through the post. They obviously provide other services as well, but to keep it simple, that's what retailers do. There is a fourth aspect to these costs, which has been introduced in the last 10 years or so, and that is the imposition of certain regulations or extra charges that have been imposed by government. And this is mainly due to green schemes that governments have introduced over that period of time, be it federal government or state government. So my understanding is the biggest chunk of our bill is the network component. Can we talk about that for a minute? Why are we paying so much more for the network now? Well, it depends where you are as to how much more that you're paying for the network now. So there are some states that have seen really significant increases in network costs over the past 10 years. It's worth mentioning every single state has seen an increase in network costs, but there are a couple in particular that have seen massive rises, which has been in Queensland and New South Wales. And 
the main reason that we've seen those increases in prices and costs is because we built a whole load more stuff. And by stuff, what I mean is the poles and wires that transports the electricity, the substations through which the electricity has to run, and then it gets dispersed to people's homes and businesses. Um, and the big thing is that we have built this incredibly large amount of expensive infrastructure over the last 10 years, and consumers have to pay for it. But surely we needed it, right? I mean, we've we've arguably started using more electricity. There's more people in the world. There's more people in Australia. Surely we use more electricity, so we need it. There is an extent to which we have increased our, our use of electricity and there are more people and we need it. And you would expect to see some sort of growth. Hmm. But the growth that we've seen has been incredible. Over a 10-year period, the value of that infrastructure has increased by 70% in real terms. Wow. And that 70% equates to about $40 billion. That's a whole lot of bananas. That is a whole lot of bananas, as you say, Megan. <laughs> I'm not really sure that we could eat that many bananas, even if we tried. There's always money in the banana stand. Look. <laughs> um, so are there reasons for the overbuild? Why, why have we seen such growth in the network? The way in which we calculate network costs is, is reasonably complicated. And you've got to remember that all our network costs are basically rubber stamped by the regulator. And so a network business who is in charge of building all this new infrastructure will put forward a proposal to the regulator saying, we need this more stuff to make sure that we've got a reliable system and we can get the electricity to the people that need it and they don't get any blackouts or things like that. And there'll be a bit of back and forth, but eventually the regulator will go, yep, okay, and they'll build the stuff. The trouble that we've had is, is really threefold. First one, importantly, is that uh, predicting how much infrastructure we need depends on us being able to predict how much demand and particularly peak demand that we're going to need. So we build it big enough to transport that electricity. Unfortunately, those forecasts that were undertaken in the mid-2000s were horribly wrong. Everyone expected demand to continue growing for electricity, and the reality is from 2009, electricity demand actually started falling. So we ended up building new infrastructure for new demand that never actually occurred. Why did it start to fall? Um, again, there's a range of reasons why this might be. Uh, firstly, the increasing prices may have encouraged consumers to start using less electricity. Uh, there were a lot of new energy efficiency schemes on top of the fact that a lot of our products, our TVs, our washing machines, our dishwashers became a lot more energy efficient as well. So that added to a reduction in electricity consumption. And the third reason is the rise of distributed generation. A lot of consumers started putting solar powers on their roofs. So instead of receiving electricity through the networks, as they previously had done, it just went straight from the top of their roof into the appliances that they needed to use. Sure. So those are the reasons why we saw electricity demand falling. So that's the first reason for the overbuild. Yeah. So the, there are two other reasons as well. First of all, the governments in New South Wales and Queensland decided to impose um, far stricter reliability standards on the networks. This has meant they had to meet more stuff to ensure that there were less hours in which some consumers would not be able to receive electricity. And that costs money. 
that costs quite a lot of money to build all that extra stuff to maintain a stricter reliability standard. Now it's questionable whether that strict reliability standard is was actually necessary or whether it was overbuilt, but that is a, a, a clear reason why some of the infrastructure, particularly in New South Wales and uh, Queensland was built. The third reason, and this is less tangible, but there have been questions asked as to whether the way in which we choose to regulate spending by these businesses actually encourages them to build more infrastructure. So the way that it works is, so if I have to spend $1 billion on a new piece of kit or infrastructure, it's not fair to expect the consumer to pay for that billion dollars all up front. So they pay it off over the lifetime of that piece of infrastructure. But as an investor, I want to get a return on that infrastructure. So on top of getting the money back for how much it costs, I will also receive a little bit extra. I receive some profit or I, I receive the cost of actually financing that piece of infrastructure. Now, when you're constantly getting a return on the money that you spend on building stuff, the more money you spend on building stuff, the more money you get as a return. So you get a greater profit. Now, there is a, so the argument is that that system encourages people to build more stuff. That's, that's the understanding. Now, theoretically, if you set the amount of return that they get or the extra money they get every single year for having that piece of infrastructure at the right level, it shouldn't do anything. But there is a question about whether that what is called the rate of return was set far too high in certain periods. For example, uh, just post the global financial crisis because it was difficult for these businesses to access debt, the return that they got on their investment was over 10% a year, which is quite a lot of money. And how much of our bill does the network component make up? So again, this pretty much depends on, on where you are in the country, but it's up to 50%. Wow. Okay. And so wherever you are, it's generally somewhere in the region of 40 to 50% of your electricity bill. Right. So when we do a lot of our talking about generation and stuff, we kind of forget the fact that the vast majority of the money that we pay is actually going towards transporting this electricity. Mm. Okay, so that's the network issue. What about retailers? What role have they played in this issue? And how much of the bill is that worth? The retail component of the bill, first of all, it depends on where you are because uh, different states have a different kinds of regulations that exist around retail and that changes how much you'll pay for your retail. It also depends on what kind of offer that you're on in the market. So for some people, the actual amount they pay to the retailer might be quite low because they're getting a really, really good deal. For some people, they might be paying a whole heap amount, like 30, 40% of their electricity bill going to the retailer. And if you want more on that, it's best to check out our um, our previous report, Price Shop, which we looked at retail market competition specifically in Victoria. And I'll include a link to that in our podcast notes for those listening. That would be excellent, Megan. You're welcome. So in terms of the increase that we've seen over the last 10 years, 26% of that increase has been due to the retail charge. Right. So if you, uh, again, it's different depending on what state you're in, but uh, we're going to use Victoria, for example, in this, this area. And in Victoria, consumers pay about $400 on average to a retailer, which seems an awful lot of money for uh, an organization that appears to be what we know as a supply side aggregator, which is we collect all the costs in, we bundle them up, 
we provide you with a bill and and send it to you and and we're paying four hundred dollars on average for that um now in our report what we argued was that this increase was mainly due to profits going up or what looked like uh, retailers were making more profits and we argued that the reason that they were able to make these profits in the market was because there were a number of customers that are not really engaged in the market and what they end up doing is they end up um, being on what we know as kind of these legacy tariffs which keep increasing year after year and they keep paying more and more to the retailers whereas if you're at the lower end of the scale and you're on a really good deal you're not paying very much to the retailers now what was really interesting is when the uh, ACCC released their report from which all this data is gathered they actually showed that the increase over the last 10 years was not due to increased profits to retailer but due to increased costs and that leaves us with a whole different policy problem that needs to be solved if it genuinely is cost increasing. Mm. The reason for this is that Victoria was the first state in Australia to completely deregulate energy prices. And so they've had the most competitive electricity market in retail out of any of the states. Now, basic economics says competition is a great thing, yeah. should drive down costs, should drive down prices. What we have found is the complete opposite. We have seen costs increase and we have seen prices increase after competition has been introduced. This is a really, really knotty problem. And I will add that the results that the ACCC have had are still preliminary and it will be good to wait until their final report is out in the middle of 2018 before we make a judgment on this. But it is understandable that states such as Victoria are now looking at retail market competition and whether they should do anything about it as a result of some of these price increases. Okay, time for a controversial question. You mentioned a wholesale component to the price rise, the cost of generating electricity. It's something we've discussed before. So who's to blame? Nasty fossil fuels like coal or are renewables the culprit? Well, here's the really controversial aspect. We've been talking about price rises for quite a while now, and we've actually covered 65% of that price increase uh, in our conversation so far. Wow. We haven't mentioned coal or renewables. No. So I guess the most controversial aspect is, despite the fact that we get a lot of press Talking about this stuff, the main culprits for our price increase has nothing to do with the topic that we talk most about. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I think people probably don't realise because of the conversations that have had in the media is actually what a small part of your electricity bill is actually the generation of electricity. So we hear lots of people saying, oh, we're strong in solar and wind resources or we're strong in gas and coal resources and therefore we should have cheap electricity and that's true they they do provide us with a competitive advantage but they still only form a small portion of the bill mm. and so despite this there are a whole range of other areas that really impact on you before you even get to this point and I guess the 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 prior to the really recent uh, upturn in wholesale prices the the component of your electricity bill which was made up of the wholesale cost was only about 20-22%. Mm. 
So a really small amount. Unfortunately, what has happened is we have seen that amount rise in the past year, year and a half. And so, you know, 12, 18 months ago, you were probably only paying around $340 for the wholesale component of your bill. Now, you are probably paying something in the region of $530. So the problem with wholesale generation has really occurred in the last 18 months. So why the last 18 months? Why, why have there risen so much in the last 18 months? Welcome to our old friend supply and demand. And it's really all about the balance that we've got in the supply and demand in the market. And this, this actually goes back to quite a long story and it will take a, a while to that. But this is really where the, the argument about renewable and coal comes into it. Right. So for a long time uh, since the creation of the national electricity market back in 1998, we always had sufficient and if not more supply in the market than we actually needed. And because we had either a little bit or a lot of excess supply in the market, this always put downward pressure on prices. Remember, more supply than demand means the prices remain lower. Um, and then a couple of things happened. In the, in the late 2000s, the um, Kevin Rudd government decided to extend uh, the renewable energy target uh, to expressly to bring in you know, 20% of renewable energy by 2020. And what this obviously did was push more supply into your market. Now, if we go back to our network issues about what was happening to demand at that period, we also had a period where demand started falling in the market at the same time. So what we have was we're having an increase of supply and we're having an increase of supply that, that actually bids into the market at a very low cost, more supply, less demand and this obviously has had a great impact for prices in the short term so this is why we've seen really low wholesale prices and that's that looks really good for consumers but the reality is that can't last forever because if you think about a traditional generator prior to this period they were getting sufficient revenue to cover their costs make a bit of a profit and everything was good you push more supply into the market and obviously they're getting less of the pie. When demand goes down, the pie is getting smaller. So they're getting less revenue on two fronts and effectively something's got to give. And that's what really happened in 2016. Uh, and what happened then is we saw the last major uh, coal-fired power station exit the market in South Australia. And we saw the announcement of the imminent closure of the Hazelwood power station in Victoria. Mm. So all of a sudden we took two big chunks of supply out of the market and the market flipped. Mm. Instead of having excess supply in the market, we suddenly had excess demand and that shoved the price up completely. And that is why at the moment, what we're seeing is uh, such high prices in the wholesale market. Now, getting back to your initial question, is it the fault of renewables or is it the fault of coal? <laughs> I'm dying to know. Well, <laughs> who I should blame. <laughs> everyone wants to blame someone, Megan. Everyone wants to blame someone. So is it renewables fault that coal exited the market? Yes, because that's what we wanted. If you're trying to transition your economy from a fossil fuel one to a lower emissions one, you need to bring in lower emissions stuff and the high emitting stuff has to exit the market. Is it renewables fault that that high emitting stuff high emitting generation has not been replaced with anything else? No, that's our politicians fault for not putting in place the policy environment to 
encourage the right investment that we need to ensure that we have a reliable generation fleet. But hang on, I mentioned in my introduction that the federal government doesn't feel like it's a part of the problem. But yes, as you've said, there's four components, right, to this electricity price hike. Yeah. Government policy being one of them. Yeah, government policy. And there's there's two strands of that. One, one role of government policy has obviously been able to set a stable environment for investment to take place in the electricity market. We have had anything but a stable environment in energy and climate change policy over the last decade. What? <laughs> so, so picture an investor in this market. In 2007, I know that governments, whatever governments are going to introduce an emissions trading scheme and I'm going to face a price on carbon for whatever I choose to generate. I know that's going to happen. And then eventually in 2012, that doesn't happen. And so, and so as a result of this carbon price, I might choose to invest in a lower emitting power plant. But before I make that investment, we've got the opposition at that time saying they will get rid of that carbon mm. price. So any investment that I make in a lower emitting plant will be proved to be a fruitless investment if that carbon price gets repealed, which eventually it does. But I know that the international community are moving towards a low emissions future, so I'm probably not going to build a high emitting plant again unless I get some kind of policy in place. And the problem is since the carbon price was axed back in 2014, we've had no real policy certainty about what the environment's going to be like since. So it's really, really important that a policy that drives emissions reductions in the electricity sector is put in place so I have the certainty to know what I'm going to invest in. So that's the first factor in which governments have got involved and to be perfectly honest it's been a bit of a mess mm. the second factor and this always gets probably again built up as one of the major reasons why we've seen price rises has been the cost of what we've known as green schemes now these have contributed to about 16 percent of the price increases after the last 10 years but you've got to remember that this still only accounts for about eight percent of your bill in total and these costs are associated with the subsidies that are provided to renewable generation through the renewable energy target, uh, state-based energy efficiency schemes, or state-based state -based renewable energy targets, um, and feed-in tariffs for solar power. So, so when the government says that, that you're going to get paid for every unit of electricity you generate out of your solar panels, it's not the government paying, it's the, the consumers paying through their sure. electricity bills. Now, it's a small amount and arguably it's not been particularly well spent. These schemes have generally been inefficient. If the aim's been to reduce emissions, we probably could have reduced emissions spending far less money. Mm. So there are lessons that, that should be learned from this, and but we also need to remember that as a cause of this big price increase that we've seen over the last decade, it falls a small but still significant part. So David, it's 2018, it's the beginning of the year. Have you got any good news for us? I, I guess there are some green shoots. I, I think there is an expectation that the very high prices that we've seen in the wholesale market recently are going to start coming down as new supply comes on board, particularly new renewable supply. Um, there have been 
some baby steps taken to try and reduce the costs from the retail component. And it looks like finally the network businesses are getting their capital spending under control. Although you've got to remember that we're going to have to keep paying for all that extra infrastructure that we built in the last 10 years for some while to come. Mm. But it's really on the substantive issue as to why we've seen this incredible increase in prices the last 10 years that has me most worried because over the last few years we've seen a lot of politicians talking about the impact of prices and the impacts on people's cost of living and yet the focus has never been on the main causes of those price increases. Uh, we've preferred to focus on the impact of climate change policies rather on the more substantial issues as far as cost is concerned, which has been on the network and the retail side, despite the fact that it has been understood for a long time that these components of your electricity bill were driving increases in prices. And we don't seem to be seeing much of an end to that kind of debate uh, happening at the moment. So we've had a number of new energy policies, uh, particularly to do with tackling emissions reduction in the electricity sector flagged and then rejected out of hand um, by the government, whether it's the clean energy target that Alan Finkel recommended or an emissions intensity scheme, which was the flavour of the day about 18 months ago. Um, we now have the government's national energy guarantee uh, which again has the possibility of getting some bipartisan support and becoming a stable, credible climate change policy going into the future. But you don't have the certainty that Labor will support it or necessarily that all of the states will come on board, which they need to if it's going to be implemented. So we're still in this kind of hiatus where we don't have that certainty and until politicians get their act together and actually manage to deliver a suite of policies that are stuck with and committed to the uncertainty that we've seen and possibly the price rises might continue and that is not a very it's not a very appetizing prospect megan so not out of the woods yet not out of the woods yet but Slowly, you can see the potential for something to come together. But we would have said that two years ago around emissions intensity scheme. We said that back in 2007 with an emissions trading scheme. So... Play it again, Sam. You know, we've kind of been here before. Mm. Um, and unless we get agreement on that and then we go back and actually start tackling some of the main causes of the price rises, we could just see the current situation repeated again. Well, I guess thanks for your insights today, David. I mean, they're a bit bit depressing, but hopefully we will see some change. Um, and thank you for joining me on this, the first podcast for 2018. It seems fitting since you had the you had Grattan's first op-ed of 2018, uh, which you, the listener, can uh, find on our website, along with all of Grattan's research into energy policy and energy price hikes, uh, grattan.edu.au. And of course, stay up to date with all of Grattan's news, research and events by following us on Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes to give it a rating or review. Thanks for listening. 
Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.